Welcome to the Unhooked Podcast, hosted by author, writer, and recovery advocate, Annie Highwater. This is a podcast of real conversations and true stories from those who have been affected by and overcome adversity. Each episode will tell real, raw, sometimes unbelievable stories, opening up the lives of a variety of guests, as well as your host. You will hear stories of despair, recovery, and triumph from people who have risen from or are making their way through wilderness experiences. The goal of the Unhooked podcast is to take a deep, productive look into topics related to addiction, alcoholism, grief, mental and emotional health, family dysfunction, codependency, conflict, and other types of affliction. The good, the bad, the dramatic, the real-life stuff that all of us face. You will hear wisdom and hope from people who are fighters, who fought to persevere through bewildering circumstances and difficult obstacles. You can contact Annie by emailing annieunhooked at gmail.com. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning back into the podcast. I am excited about a guest I'm having on today who's going to share her story and her work with us that I think we will find we can all relate to. Um, for more than 20 years, this guest has collaborated with hundreds of nonprofit organizations, effectively leading initiatives with CEOs, senior executives, directors, trustees, and philanthropists to ignite organizational and community-wide change. Her mission for helping families and parents of addicted loved ones inspired her to launch Voices Encourage, and that's spelled with an I, as in I-N, Courage. And I'll have all the links in the show notes, um, which is a community that provides instrumental resources for individuals who need to heal, connect, and grow during the most challenging times in their lives. Her desire to elevate those courageous voices will be a big part of her evolution in 20. 21. So with that said, I would like to introduce all of our listeners to K.L. Wells. She is the CEO and founder of K.L. Wells, I'm sorry, Voices and Courage. So welcome to the podcast and take it away. Thank you, Annie. I really appreciate it. I, you know, this is the first podcast I've done where I'm actually talking to a mom who gets it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there so are I several so, of us. I so appreciate that. Um, and, um, you know, my journey began generationally. My mom was addicted to prescription medications uh, when I was growing up, which was a pretty typical thing in the 50s and 60s. And I didn't really realize what was going on until I was a little older. Um, but and then my brother um, ended up being addicted to cocaine. And so it just kind of fell that way for me. Mom brother. I married an alcoholic um, and subsequently, you know, five years later divorced him. But um, I kept like, I had my eye on breaking the generational pattern. And the thing that really kicked me into kind of overdrive around this for myself and really the world at this point um, was dealing with my son's addiction. And that really happened. I mean, he fell off the, the edge, so to speak, about five years ago when his dad passed away. And it was really about four years ago that we began to realize something's wrong here. We don't live in the same state. Um, and so it was more difficult to kind of figure out um, that his behavior wasn't who I knew him to be. But we figured it out. And um, about three years ago, I think this is one of the things that really catapulted me in terms of stepping into doing this work uh, as a calling at this point. Um, 
as a business coach and consultant, I walked into a CEO's office. I was meeting with the executive team. This was almost three years ago to the day. And when I got into the room, I realized that the energy was really off. And very quickly, I learned from one of the executives that the CEO's son had passed away three days earlier from an um, overdose. What they didn't realize at the time, and I didn't tell them until months later, was that at the same day that her son passed away, I witnessed my son being arrested um, at gunpoint. And so I had a, a, a similar and yet different trauma around addiction uh, on the same day. And, and what I learned in that moment was between Saturday when that occurred for myself and Tuesday when I went and met with this executive team, I had done enough personal work that I personally wasn't triggered to my own experience on the same day. I was able to hold the space for them in their trauma, in their grief, in their what the heck do we do with this company as we're holding the space for a CEO who's just lost um, her eldest son. And in that moment, I it, well, not exactly in that moment, but certainly after that moment, I realized, okay, I've developed some skills here that are important to share and I have more work to do. <laughs> And so it, it catapulted me with that experience into a deeper journey than what I had previously been doing. And one of the things first and foremost was I needed to show up and feel what I was going through, which I let that, I let that work through me and I was present for it and so on and so forth. And then I was like, okay, I need to up my self-care big time because I'm in the throes of the shattered dreams, the trauma, the drama, um, the desperation around this. And I was in my own trauma, much less the, the experience of realizing, okay, my son's in jail. He's dealing with addiction. At that point, he was in drug psychosis. So there was more to it. And so being in it and working on it at the same time while also trying to stay at my A game for my clients, that was kind of the navigation that I was trying to work through. And so I love what I do. And so I wasn't just wanting, willing to survive this. I actually wanted to set an intention to thrive. And that was quite a journey. So. I very quickly signed up to do a vision quest process, which was a nine month process, which had me really in it on a very intense and profound level for nine months and still navigating through all the court stuff, the mental illness, the addiction, the in and out of jail, in and out of rehabs, family, dealing with family around this that were shocked and all the, the shame, the guilt, the judgment, the disappointment, all the things that show up for people in the midst of all of this. And how did I want to navigate this as a mom? 
And I pretty quickly realized that what I really wanted to do was love him through his unfolding. And I realized that his addiction was just part of his journey. It's messy. It's ugly. It's heartbreaking. It's all that you imagine it to be. And then how do you actually hold the space for your child's journey while you're having your own? And I never saw him as somebody to fix. Um, I obviously was, you know, concerned um, that we may lose him in this process. But really, when I checked in with spirit, um, that wasn't what I got. I got that this was part of his journey and, and it was going to serve at a higher level years down the road. And you just don't have a timeline for any of that. So being able to set myself up for however long it took and be present for him in a way that consistently delivered the message, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. So out of all of the experiences over the last three years in particular, I finally came to the place where, wow, this has really set, my, it set me up for my calling. And I, at the time, was just cobbling together pieces of how should I handle this? What books should I read? What videos, documentaries were available? What, what people could I really trust with the perspective that I aspired to step into and own as my own? And um, I wished I had run across um, allies in recovery <laughs> before just recently. Um, and yet we're obviously kindred spirits along this, this journey together. So. Um, Anyway, Voices and Courage was born out of that space. And we've been working the last eight, nine months to put together all the resources that we think um, that I would have loved to have had all in one place when everything kind of blew up. So I think that is a pretty good cap capsulation of my journey in, in the last few years. Wow. Well, I have to tell you, there's so many things I relate to. So I, I took some notes that I think many of us can, but even I'm just, I was, I'm always surprised when I talk to people because I've always come, I've come to the conclusion that our dynamics are all the same, but our details are so different, but there is such a thread mm -hmm. of similarity. Yeah. Um, so I just want to highlight a couple of things that you said. I mm -hmm. think it's so interesting that you came from the generational and for a couple of reasons that your mother um, and, and my mother and I've written about it as well um, had a prescription addiction and we didn't mm -hmm. know that's what it was for a long time she um, you know doctors prescribed it one of her best friends was a doctor and if there mm -hmm. was a need he would just come over with his medicine bag and bring Tylenol with codeine and <laughs> right so it was just like a regular part of life and you knew you knew kind of as a peripheral knowledge if that makes sense mom's taking maybe too many pills or this or that's kind of, um, you know, strange, not according to medical procedure, but you're still a kid and then you don't really correlate the behavior. And we were a church family. So certainly the word addict had not entered into the picture or re revealed itself, mm -hmm. but it was during those years, those 50s, 60s, 70s, um, 
that I think it was so common. Absolutely. There was a lot more addiction, you know, than I think even people are telling about. There was just like not a lot of conversation about it. We are definitely in in, an information age. I mean, you can get on Instagram and find therapists on there, but nobody was talking about their trauma or their family history, but yet they're bringing all of these people with them into every situation, grandparents and parents and everyone's alcoholism and dysfunction and things they've been taught. And everyone's kind of walking around with a swirling voices and not really come to terms with who they are. So I think Yes. It's so interesting that that's relatable, but it's also interesting to me that you said you didn't want to fix your son because coming from that, that you didn't end up with kind of a rescuer savior complex of, you know, codependency (laughs) or whatever to fix, because that for me and for, you know, a lot of, not everyone, but for a lot of people that was kind of part of the damage. Right. Yeah. Well, what I would say, Annie, is uh, several things. One is Um, my dad was a minister, so I get the church family thing. Right. Um, I didn't know that my mom was taking prescription medications until I was about 17, 18 years old. Um, it wasn't talked about. We didn't have the doctor come over to the house. So I, I, all I knew was from a behavioral perspective that my mom was pretty angry and I usually got the brunt of it. Um, and then speaking to the trauma you know, we all go through traumas. Um, and it's so fascinating because we all think we're going through traumas alone. Certainly right. growing up, you think you're the only one. And what you realize when you start to, you know, talk to people and, and I, at least my journey was, uh, you know, I started to talk to people as I got older and I got counseling multiple times and I've done a lot of spiritual work and so on and so forth. And so as I began to kind of step into this, I began to realize, shoot, everybody's going through trauma. It's just, we're not talking about it. So you feel so isolated and alone in it and, and you don't know what to do with it. I mean, it's the, the family secrets that nobody talks about and, or the community secrets that nobody talks about. And so you're kind of left in this space growing up of what the heck is going on and how do I navigate this in a survival mode? Um, and I made, I made a decision really early on, probably as a preteen to start, um, I had kind of this intention that I was, I I wanted to break this pattern, Mm -hmm. at least of anger. Um, and, and then I realized, oh, my brother started using drugs when I was about, I think 13 or 14. Well, then I kind of lost him at that point, um, to addiction. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing this when I get older, but I hadn't put it all together yet. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's just been a lifelong journey of, you know, I ended up marrying an alcoholic um, because I knew that pattern, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to some extent. And so, um, and all that swirls around that. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. So what are the gifts and lessons that I need to learn out of this experience to help me elevate to the next version of myself. And then, and I just kept living into the question as the years went by and kept elevating and elevating and elevating. So by the time this whole thing happened really with Sam, which was, you know, probably one of the darkest moments of my life, I wasn't in that place of, oh, he needs to be fixed. I was in the place of, uh, 
it is definitely part of his journey. And how do I support him in this journey in a way that's healthy? And, uh, and that took some work, obviously. So um, I, I have more and more conversations with people who are like, we need to fix them. I'm like, uh, no, are you open to shifting that perspective? Because we're all in this together. We're inextricably linked. And um, we have as much work to do as they do. Um, and personally, I just think it's all part of what, you know, collectively we're going through on a global level right now. That's about elevating humanity. Right. So he's playing his part. I'm playing my part. They just look a little different. Let me hit on one point about the, um, the church thing, because you'll probably understand this. And this yeah. is something that, um, you know, years after I had done, because I came from all that dysfunction as well and was trying to figure out how do I not repeat the misery um, mm -hmm. and end up, you know, mentally ill or all of these things myself, or am I, you know, you know, all the things you struggle with, but yep. being in church for, for us, that's kind of our, um, you know, our mile marker is faith. It's kind of mm -hmm. our foundation. So to come mm -hmm. back to that, well, when you have a son or a daughter who um, veers into, um, for my son, it was opioid addiction. He was prescribed painkillers. So that's what the, what the issue was. Mm -hmm. When you have an addiction like that, you can't apply certain concepts that the church typically applies, such as it's sin, it's prodigal, right. it's a prodigal right. son. And another thing, the flip side of that prodigal son thing is that with the prodigal son, that son returned having had an awakening. And when he returned, they had a party for him. They welcomed him back with love to let him know you're not condemned. You're still part of this family. We're just glad you woke up and returned. But when you have a son or a daughter off an addiction, they sometimes return repeatedly. Yes. So it's not the same. You know what I'm saying? It's not, no, it's yes. not the prodigal son over and over and over again. It's right. more of a health crisis and a, a setback and you know, what have we all learned from this and going forward, how do we, you know, put our boundaries back in place? What's the healthiest option to go forward from here for everyone? So I know some of those things, I talk to a lot of people in church and I'm involved in recovery groups. Some people are triggered by the concepts of church or things like that, but it's just an interesting dynamic that I think the church is kind of aware that their approach to family struggling with addiction, because there's so many, is yes. not, um, is not, really handled in the healthiest, most productive way. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, um, my dad was a minister and we didn't talk about it. Right. Um, and so, uh, and generally, I mean, this is a generalization on my part is that the majority of the church community um, and the majority of the world actually um, is very judgment laden. Yes. And so they're not introspective. So when somebody, a lot of times people don't go to the altar with a problem because they don't want people to know they have a problem. And that's right. not recovery is all about doing the inner deep dive, being transparent and working on yourself. Yes. So, yes. I mean, yes. I think they kind of have it backwards to where you get stuck and people, and this addiction thrives in secrecy as does dysfunction. So people, Absolutely. people hide it and then it just kind of grows into more monsters. Right, exactly. Well, so, so I think about things in terms of we are very steeped in right, wrong, good, bad. Yes, all or nothing. Yes, and so that automatically creates um, this judgment paradigm, this superiority paradigm. 
um, this dysfunction. And so I come at this through the lens of, and this is the work that I do in, in my coaching and consulting is what works, what doesn't work in terms of the outcome that you're trying to create. Um, and so I brought that to this experience is he wasn't wrong. He wasn't bad. Um, he was on this journey and what was the outcome, you know, that, he most wanted to create, what was the outcome that I most wanted to create and how were we going to do this in a healthy way? And, and, you know, uh, it's, it is a journey, Mm -hmm. um, of revelation, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't make him his journey any faster than it was going to be. Um, and so I needed to settle into allowing and, um, yeah, I think allowing is a great word him, his journey, just like, you know, the chrysalis, you can't let the butterfly out early. (laughs) And I believe that addiction, um, there's a great book called the paradigm conspiracy, uh, that was written in the nineties. Um, and they talked a lot about the two cultural paradigms. And these are global cultural paradigms of soul honoring and power over and control of in the vast majority of cultures we live in power over and control of where I reside is soul honoring. And I believe addiction is a huge, big red flag that power over and control of is killing us. Mm -hmm. That's definitely an eye-opening thought. Yes. So you, and the Iroquois Confederacy is the example that they used of soul honoring which was born out of the near annihilation of the Northeast tribes in the 1500s. Wow. And so that gives me a way to frame things mm-hmm. that is extraordinarily powerful for me. Yes. And, and so that's how I was also able to kind of step into this space with Sam of honoring his soul's journey. Addiction is part of that journey. I don't begin to know kind of what the end game is. I just know that his addiction is part of his journey. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to presuppose that I know what this is all about. Um, I'm going to hold myself in the space of, you know, his journey is also part of my journey. So then what really is happening here as a gift to me, that is part of my journey. Does that make sense? It really does. And it makes me think of Um, I learned early on, I was sitting in a recovery setting with some other parents. And I remember another mom saying, one of the things that it helped me to realize was that judgment is not just about judging people. A lot of times it's about judging situations as good or bad. And that Mm -hmm. a situation might seem terrible, but might Mm -hmm. be necessary because it has a good outcome and it's going to get us where we need to be. And Mm -hmm. that really freed me a lot Mm -hmm. on this path with my son and with myself, because a lot of times something would be occurring with him or there'd be the threat of something happening. And I would Mm -hmm. think if this doesn't work out, it's going to cause this or that. And I would be, you know, very outcome obsessed and trying to fix or, or, or on the flip side of that, I, um, you know, enabling was a dirty word back early on. So I thought I'll do the opposite because I'm going to solve this problem and I'll be the enforcer. I'll create misery. So I would try to create consequences really fast. So he'd hate his life more than I did come out of it. And we'd all go back to normal and go on a vacation. And you know how you think. Sure. But that concept of 
it's not really up to me to judge if a situ if you know if he misses an insurance payment and it, you know it could lead to him meeting somebody you know that they have a great recovery conversation or it could meet lead him to having to work extra hard taking the dignity and getting the victory himself of facing a consequence and overcoming it because when mm -hmm. we overcome we have strength for the next situation that's kind of how you know like the butterfly working through the pressure to release like you were mentioning in mm -hmm. life we work through struggles and adversity and that's how we get stronger to face the next thing and get the victory so that right. was kind of like i, I kind of relate it to that process that i can't really judge good or bad because bad can lead to good and good can lead to bad yes well and so i i i I don't think about things in terms of good, bad, right? <laughs> um, because that, again, that's, that's judgment laden. Right. Um, and who am I actually? Um, and so I, I, and I do, you know, being in it and then also having kind of the 60,000 foot level perspective of kind of global transformation, I'm able to go bet between that. Um, and so I could pull back and see how all of this, even my son's journey, my journey is also serving kind of tipping the planet, so to speak, to a higher level of consciousness um, about soul honoring. Right. So how, how, how could I sit there and say, this is bad? It may be the only way we get there. Right. And so um, and that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking a little bit earlier today and what I said also was, and this feeds into my perspective on this is that my, my thought about it is that pain pushes until vision pulls. That's true. <laughs> yes. And so for me, the pain of witnessing my son's arrest was so shattering and it is exactly what i needed to catapult me into the work that i need to do right and i don't i honestly you know as a mom and you know as a mom i my perspective is that nothing else could have shattered me as much as that moment right um because my son was only, the only one um, and so I took the shattering and I worked my way through it as a gift to the next piece of what I was supposed to learn and, and ultimately my life's calling. Right. So right. if that hadn't happened, if I had framed that as good, bad, how would I have ever gotten to my life's calling? Right. And it still doesn't mean it's not painful or that they're, you oh, know, absolutely. And, it, yes. and I think we even get into all or nothing with, when it comes to concepts like this, like, well, I'm not just going to ignore bad behavior, you know, or unhealthy behavior or not enforce conflicts or consequences. It's really not about that. It's really about mm -hmm. bringing it back to yourself and kind of analyzing how'd I get here? What brought me here? And what's the healthiest way to move forward so that I am not a wreck and I handle it right, <laughs> at least as much as healthy as possible. Yes. And, and then add the question, you know, what is this experience here to teach me? Yeah. That's, and a, that's for, a long place to get to sometimes. A lot of people don't come to that level of awareness. Totally, I totally hear you, Annie. Um, <laughs> absolutely. And, and it's been, you know, decades of work to get right. to that place. Yeah. 
Um, I'm just saying that once I got to that place and the, and standing in this place, no matter what has happened in the last few years, I, that question is automatic for me. Right. And so because it's automatic for me, um, it sets me in a different place in how I take on the, the things that show up in life and, and, and couple that with the belief that I have that, you know, life happens for us instead of to us. And so standing on kind of those two twin pillars has allowed me to embrace all that has happened. Right. Um, and step into it from this is all serving me um, and elevating me, catapulting me to a higher level of service. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't take any of it back. There's a um, term I, I actually wrote about it in my first book called synergeo. It's a Greek word. Um, and it's used in, in a verse that says um, all things work together, are worked together for good. And it's, yes. it's that concept of that word work. And the, the word mm-hmm. synergeo means mm-hmm. um, a positive and a negative combined. So basically mm-hmm. one of the best examples is salt. If you cel- separate the molecules of salt, they can be poisonous, but, if, but combined salt has such great purposes. It can melt ice, it adds flavor, um, you know, it's, it can be healing. So there's that process of synergeo that, you know, what seems negative or positive combined brings forth positive and and is actually healthy. Yes, absolutely. So embedded in the worst of tragedies is also the greatest of gifts. Right. Um, It's hard to get there when you're face down on the floor though. So, I mean, and we we do have those moments (laughs) and everybody does, you have to it's a process though. I always kind of like, remember I had an aunt that used to pull taffy and I remember she would stretch it as far as possible and then smash it back together. And I always remembered watching that process. And I felt like life kind of happened like that, where you'd be stretched yes. as thin as possible and then put back together over and over and over because it's not a one-time event. It's not a one-time eye-opening event. It's not right. one time at an altar. It's not a one-time anything. It's a process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, this is life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and we, I mean, generally speaking, we've grown up in this culture that, um, does not actually celebrate pain, does not celebrate suffering to comfort us out of it. Right. Or try to protect us from it. Right. Um, and no, I mean, that's, that's how our souls are etched. Right. Um, and that's how we learn how to be better human beings and have more compassion and love and caring for other human beings mm-hmm. is we we learn that we're all kind of walking the same path here um, and in so many ways. And it's just been covered up with the crap of shame and judgment and good, bad, right, wrong, yeah. all of it. Um, too many that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so so I want to ask, um, just as, as it relates to your son, um, I know you were saying his behavior was your sign and you figured it out. I've always thought that as well. And I, and I know certain behaviors have been assigned throughout the years. Um, for us, it was, mm-hmm. uh, my son always worked. He was never without a job, but when he was, would sometimes be working one or two jobs, but then still needing money for a tire or this or that, and then it would never get fixed or new work boots. And then you wouldn't see it, things like that. And mm-hmm. then also when there was an increase of conflict, because we tend to be a jovial, um, close knit family, just, you know, the, right. those of us in our inner core don't have a lot of conflict. We kind of try to not have it. 
you know, you want to hash things out, but you don't, nobody really wants daily hateful arguing. So when that yes. would, would happen, those mm -hmm. were signs for us. So I don't yes. know what your son's drug of choice was, but I think it's interesting that some of those behaviors that kind of raise the hair on your arms or are red flags or just make you question, you, you kind of let them pass by are sometimes, you know, those red flags that something's going on. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, when they pull away, when they won't engage, when their eyes drop, um, when they lie to you, yeah. when they're not where they say they were going to be, when they start, you know, stealing, overreacting, when, all of yeah, that. overreacting, yeah. all of it. Those are all huge signs um, that something's amiss. Right. And that they're like dashboard it, lights. Yes, for absolutely sure. And I mean, we went through all of it. I mean, you know, <laughs> we, we know all the signs. I mean, Sam is in recovery at this point and we've had these conversations. Um, we know um, he's, it's very apparent when he has started to use again, cause we've been on, off, on, off, you know, multiple times. And, um, and although we live in different States, it's very easy to tell. Oh yeah, I can tell it. I can tell something's going on, even if it's, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with using. Sometimes, you know, my son has, um, he's very energetically present. So even yeah. if he's having a bad day or there's something going on, I can tell in a text message. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Well, and I mean, I don't know what your experience is with your son, but with my son, he is, wow, he's just this light mm -hmm. and sensitive, heartfelt young man. And, and I firmly believe that he is on this planet as a light um, to help us all. And they're the ones that generally, you know, end up um, having addiction issues, alcoholism, so on and so forth, because the world is not kind. Um, and they're sensitive to the unkindness and the ugly and so on and so forth. And they haven't learned how to navigate it um, in a way that's healthy, healthy for them. Um, so they kind of want to check out. Um, well, it's, it's so interesting. I talk to a lot of parents and I, I would say the majority will say my child that got addicted was my sensitive child, was mm -hmm. my creative child, was right. my energetic child, was the child that always could cheer me up. Uh, you know, a lot of them will even say, you know, I secretly favored this child was you right. know, my most <laughs> loving child, my most funny child. It, yeah. it is those types. They have a lot of amazing, amazing qualities. And then they just kind of fall into this and get misidentified. Yes. Yes. Instead of us looking at it as a red flag that something's, um, you know, amiss. Um, and, um, and uh, yeah, I had a conversation with a, a father last week. And what I said is your son is not a problem to fix. He's a miracle to embrace and lift up. And he doesn't know it yet. Yeah, that's right. The, you know, cause the world doesn't embrace them. Um, and so, um, how do we embrace them in a way that they hear us, feel us, and how do they create community that embraces them and lifts them up and helps them navigate, um, as you know, the lights that they are to, I think kind of help tip the planet in, in, uh, a more, more soul honoring direction. Right. Um, and it's, I mean, I, I don't, I kind of don't envy their journey. Cause I, I believe that's why they're here, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but they don't know it until they know it. That's right. 
That's right. And you can't get them to know it. And I think that's where I would kind of go crazy is that I was always trying to help him get it or realize it and whatever it was, you know, what his worth is, what his talent is, how much we love him, how much he matters, how unsafe he's being. And the more I would try to get him to get it in that space of trying to create these revelations or these situations that caused it to click for him made all of us nuts and sick and worse. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. And I, I, I know, you know, he felt some of that from me, although I think because, you know, um, I think because of all the work that I'd done through the years and at this point was I would like just drive up, which is about four and a half hours to where he lives. Um, just to let him know that I loved him. Yeah. And that was it. If he was there, I'd have eyeballs. If he wasn't there, I'd leave him a note. Right. That was it. Um, and I didn't expect anything from him. Um, I didn't ask anything from him. I just wanted him to be beyond a shadow of a doubt, crystal clear that no matter what he did, what was going on, he was always loved. And, and I know that that was a foundation for when he, you know, was working his way through this part of his journey, that that was a foundation that he could count on. And, um, and that was critically important as far as I was concerned. So goodness, that is so important because when it comes back to those concepts of good and bad, there's trust issues there. And if Mm -hmm. we're, if everything's about punitive, you Mm -hmm. you know, my son, when he would have those moments of what am I doing? I have, you know, a family to go back to, or, you know, I, I went on vacations and here I'm around this right now. And when he would have those moments, he didn't feel comfortable enough at times to trust me to not be you know, I didn't, I wouldn't say I harassed him and punished him all the time, but I was always in a panic. Are you okay? Or are you okay? He didn't feel safe enough just to come to me and say, I need out of this, you know, because everything was so much about, it's a problem. It's an issue. You're hurting us. It's, you know, it's right. It's wrong. It's good. It's, you know, everything was so categorized that it caused us to miss so many opportunities at first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's such a learning process. It, it, uh, yes, it, it definitely is. It, it, it's an unfolding process. I mean, yeah. you have to do a lot of work. Yes. I had to do a lot of work um, to get to that I had to, to learn point. a lot too. And I had to make a lot of mistakes. I, I mean, I, for a while, I remember thinking I was on the clock for my son's life to save it, to, to make him realize. And I would show up to places like a one woman SWAT team and bang <laughs> on a door, like, you know, just stupid, stupid. Yeah. dangerous. And he would tell me later, all it did was put me more at risk because if, if I couldn't be around these settings, I'd have to go somewhere else and it wasn't safe. Right. You know, and and somebody could say, well, he doesn't have to, he could just, you know, go into treatment when they're locked into that, their brain is completely hijacked and it's running the program until they have that moment of revelation or many moments, you know, where they can kind of latch onto a, to a way out. And I was making it harder. Right. Yeah, I totally, I totally hear you. And one of the fascinating things to me was when I watched the video Pleasure Unwoven um, was learning uh, actually the brain science around this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That made all the difference in the world as far as I was concerned. I much better understood how the disease had a hold on him. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, it, it made such a difference. I recommend that documentary all the time. 
because most people are in that good, bad, right, wrong, all the judgment around it. And I'm like, uh, no, um, his brain has been hijacked, as you said. Um, And in first position survival is I must have drugs. Yep. I have to be well. I'm sick. I can't breathe. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right. Exactly. And so it's a, it's, so it's a completely, um, I think for a lot of people, it's a reorientation to mm-hmm. actually what's going on. That's right. important for people to understand. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's so messy and complicated, <laughs> It is, you know? Um, and I want to, I want to, I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking here, Annie is I want to make it really clear to whoever's listening to this is I have been on my knees um, in the ugly cry, mm-hmm. devastated place. Um, so I don't want people to think that, you know, I'm in this place of having it all together, um, that I haven't been through the pain and suffering, um, myself. Um, it's just, I, I still, even in the midst of it, I mean, seriously, even when I was down on my knees, um, losing it completely, in the back of my head, because I had trained myself so much through the years to go through, even in the midst of the tears. Okay. What are the gifts and lessons embedded in this experience for me? You know? Um, and, and I, so I can still be like on the floor sobbing and still be running that question through my head, um, and allowing myself to feel the pain. Exactly. Uh, Which yeah. brings me to my next point, you know, I had a similar process and it's because, you know, I was raised on faith and as well, my father taught me boxing concepts when I was little, because I was always sick and, um, kind of the psychology of boxing, not so much to be a boxer and also stoicism. So we would read the stoics like Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, and it was about embracing adversity, you know, and kind of Mm -hmm. living with, um, the knowledge that nothing is you know, really for death is death is kind of imminent for all of us. So kind of, so it's, it's kind of a philosophy I've loved to follow, but so that, that all said, those things will pull you through. And I have often people will say, well, how do I heal? How do I get to a place where I have peace in the midst of it? Or I know how to set goals and go for them while this is going on. And I've always said, I, my process was not a one size fits all. It was patchwork. It was right you know, self-analyzing and self, you know, sitting down, really journaling the pain of my past, along with therapy, along mm-hmm. with support rooms, along mm-hmm. with faith, along with those, along with stoicism. And you really have to figure out a custom process for yourself. Cause there really is no, I mean, you can have the nuts and bolts of a program, but mm-hmm. then you have to kind of add things or remove things based on what's going to work for you and your own experience. So that mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. would you relate to a patchwork process over the years, or do you, do you feel like you kind of followed a specific thread of doing your work? Well, I think there are, um, there are fundamental things I think that are really important. Um, you know, part of the picking tools that you use like journaling or, you know, uh, those kind of tools, those can come and go. But I w- what I would say is first and foremost, you have to allow yourself to feel. Right. Um, and I think part of the issue of our culture and globally, and as well as the United States is we don't actually honor feelings <laughs> or emotion. It's like, you know, suck it up, buttercup and drive on. Um, when you go into corporate America, leave your personal life at home. You're the worker bee while you're here. 
I mean, we keep getting these messages of you're not actually supposed to be a human being. You're actually supposed to be just a doing person. Right. And so, so that's fundamental as far as I'm concerned is if you can allow yourself to feel, feel. Um, and then I do think self-care is absolutely right. fundamental. And so again, it's the tools of self-care that you can pick and choose patchwork wise to put it together in a way that supports your health, um, your mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health. Um, you can, you know, patch that together, but uh, it all needs to equal self-care at a really high level. Um, the community that you surround yourself with is 95% of your success. Oh, so, I agree. And a lot of times so, because we come from dysfunctional generational stuff, we will repeat that in the workplace and friendships yep. and whatever. And we continue to be sick and, and walk in those patterns. That is, I mean, I don't know if you went through it, but I know a lot of, I did personally, I know a lot of parents will go through a purge where yes. every friendship is renovated. Some don't come back. Some come back completely different and healthy. Some are put in a different category. There's like a huge purge that happens with that. Yes. And I didn't have the purge when I went through this thing with Sam. I had already done that work. Oh, that's good. Um, because I'm a business coach and consultant. And so right. I know <laughs> right. that 95% of your success or failure in business um, certainly is um, who you routinely surround yourself with. So obviously it translates in terms of life. Um, it's just most people have not gone through the work of understanding that that matters. And so I knew, you, you know, just like you, when I grew up, I grew up in a massively dysfunctional family. Right. I knew that they were massively dysfunctional and that I did not know how to create function. Right. I didn't know what a healthy relationship was like. I didn't know what a healthy marriage looked like. I, I, and so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to learn from people like role models like who have perfected great marriages, great friendships, yeah. great communities. And, and that's one of the fastest strategies to get there is pick somebody who's already perfected what you want and learn right. from them as a role model. Um, because we don't have to create this um, by ourselves. We have plenty of people to learn from. And um, yeah, we have people, plenty of people to learn from that can teach us how. And it, and understanding, like you said, is it's a process. Um, I mean, I'm finally at 64 years old in the marriage of my dreams. Right. Um, and, and it took, wow. It took what, 40 years to get there. <laughs> um, and what I would say is I was just damn intentional and focused on, yeah. I'm not leaving this planet until I get this thing right. Right. And what's my yeah. part in it? A lot of times we bring to, we, we, you know, whether it's for me, because I'd had such a toxic relationship with my mom, I kind of repeated relationships with women and friendship, not so much with romantic. I didn't have a lot of, I had like a lot of guy friends because I had a lot of brothers, but mm -hmm. I would have the most toxic situations with female friends. And mm -hmm. it was a matter of, I had to just stop and breathe and say, okay, what is my part in this? Because it's yes. not about showing up and having this great connection with a friend who's going to heal my life. And we're going to have so much fun that, you know what I mean? Like yeah. whatever your, whatever your belief system is, when you latch yeah. on and think that, that something outside of you or someone right. outside of you is yes. your answer, you're yeah. in trouble there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, 
it, you know, when, when you realize that when you grow up, those are the patterns that you know, and they're, they're running in the background. So you're kind of unconscious of these patterns until you are conscious of the patterns. And when you meet somebody and there's an instant click, that's a little red flag, a reminder that that could be a pattern from childhood. Wow. So you, I, I always kind of like, okay, I need to pause <laughs> and make sure that the connection here is an, an updated connection from a healthy place and not a connection that I'm so familiar with from the dysfunction of my childhood. Right. But those things, they creep back up because it's hard to stay mindful and alert. Of course. You know, we get yes. relaxed and routines come back and I'm like, I'll find, I was just saying, you know, in a meeting a couple of months ago, how did I get back here? I'm, I'm catching myself <laughs> thinking the same thoughts and doing the same dumb things and regretting them in like family dynamics and feuds yeah. that I've worked years to not have anywhere <laughs> near my mind. How am I back here? And I think yeah. you, you drop your guard. It's almost like getting into shape <laughs> through weightlifting or training in jujitsu. If you let yes. your guard down, those things, you know, not immediately, but gradually they creep back because they're so embedded in us. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's a process. It really is. Um, and so and I just pain and going, awareness, like you said, yes. <laughs> yeah. And life. so I, I just kind of kept going, okay, I up leveled and I'm still not where I want to be. And then I'd up level again. And I, I I'm like, I'm, I'm still not where I want to be. And so I just kind of kept up, up leveling, but I was recognizing in the moment I was still progressing. And right. as long as you can give yourself the gift of awareness that you are progressing. I mean, like I'm sure your re realization that, oh, oh, here I am again, right. was much faster yes. than it was the last time. And less costly. Yes, exactly. Right. And so recognizing the progress is so helpful. Um, instead of saying, oh, damn it, here I am again. No, actually you're not back in the same river. Your, your, your foot is in a different spot in the river. You, you know, you've up leveled your awareness is much faster. And so, and then your skills are much better. So you can pivot out of it more quickly. Right. I had so, actually just had something like that happen. This is just kind of a dumb thing, but it, it, the work shows up. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like somebody had said before yoga shows up, you know, when you're off the mat. And the, the work yes. really with um, any kind of recovery or healing work, I think shows up in the moments that you suddenly have new ways or different feelings. And I had somebody on social media, I had just, you know, kind of posted something light. I don't get, I don't try to get too heavy or personal too much, um, but then keep it real too. But I posted something and somebody was just kind of like, um, well, you know, and kind of sniped at me and <laughs> I was able to kind of, it, it's so funny how. It, it affects how emotionally charged we become or do not become in that, you know, a few years ago when I was in a place where my life was traumatizing me and I yeah. was so highly triggered and on guard constantly, it probably would have collapsed me or brought me toward her throat, if that makes sense. But I was thinking <laughs> yeah. it, it rolled off and I just didn't even, I, I laughed about it. And then somebody sent me a text message and asked me if it bothered me because kind of like feeding it. And I was yeah. like, oh my goodness, no, it has nothing to do with me. And it took me right. so many years to realize, you know, people, when they come at you with these, you know, extreme emotions, it really doesn't have anything to do with you for the no, most part, it really doesn't. And it's so yeah. funny because I don't think I would have been as healthy or strong about it. I know I wouldn't have, 
you know, five or 10 years ago, or if I had not done the work. And that is just the benefit of the work is it shows up like that. Absolutely. I mean, the whole, you know, four agreements um, by Don Miguel Ruiz, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of it not being personal. um, I read that years ago and it has continued to be a a really great um, piece of work that I continue to refer back to. But if you can just get that notion like embedded in your cells mm-hmm. that nothing's personal, that you're basically on the, the stage with people who are acting their shit out. Yeah. And okay. So that's basically what you just said is we're all just kind of acting our stuff out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and right. so anything that's, you know, kind of an extreme reaction has nothing to do with you. It's that somebody's just got some work to do. That's their dashboard light. It's not mine. How I yes. respond to it is my dashboard light or, or exactly. my, my proof of growth. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so who do I choose to be in this moment? Right. And you chose to, you know, let it roll off your back yeah. because you know, it's not personal. Right. Um, and, and that one, that one mindset shift can make all the difference in the world. Um, oh, it's like a fork in the road and you choose left or right. And yes, it really does. It can, it can ruin your day. It can run your week or it can, you can float off onto the next thing and go for a goal. It really mm-hmm. does navigate your journey. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. So there are these kind of fundamental beliefs um, and profound questions that I think about on a regular basis that have kind of embedded in um, who I am and how I approach the world that keep me moving in the direction that I aspire to move in. And, uh, and then what I would also say is be a vigilant learner. I love that. Yeah. You know, um, because that's what life is, is it's, we are here to continue to learn um, and be the next best version of ourselves. And it's a process. It's an evolution. It's never ending. Um, and so there are these keystone things that I believe are important, whatever you fill it with in terms of tools and strategies is up to you in terms of what you spoke about in terms of kind of patchworking it together. Right. But within those buckets, those five buckets, okay, patchwork together, something that works in terms of feeling self-care community beliefs and profound questions and vigilant learning that that's, those are the five buckets that I live in. Right. And you can tell if something's working or not pretty, you know, it's gradual, but I think pretty quick if something's working for you because you start to have more peace and things yes. start to calm down within you before they ever really do around you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, yes. So I, I'll tell just a quick story is um, this was about four years ago. I was backpacking. So backpacking for me is a spiritual journey. Um, I've done it for 22 years, um, consistently for two to three weeks, every summer. Um, it's (laughs) non-negotiable. Um, it is part of my self-care. So about four years ago, um, I fell in a river and almost drowned. And when I was chest deep with a 45 pound pack on my back, um, in the river, I went to automatic calm. I, I, it was so, I was so peaceful and calm. It was an extraordinary experience spiritually. And when I finally, when I was able to get out of the river 
And the first question that went through my head was, what are the gifts and lessons embedded in this experience for me? And we had about a mile and a half to go before we could get back to our vehicle so that I could, you know, get out of the adrenaline rush, make sure I was actually okay. Um, and then we could reorient our trip. But the whole way back was that was my mantra. What are the gifts and lessons embedded in this? What are the gifts and lessons embedded in this? And so I had trained myself even in that moment to go there. Wow. You know, that is so interesting. In my second, I wrote a second book called Unbroken and it's kind of like a year in the life of whatever your adversity is. But for me, it was like the family dysfunction and coming through that, you know, anguish of everything with my son. But the first chapter is, I feel like I'm drowning. Will I live through this? And and in the process of writing that chapter, I had researched people that had had a drowning experience and survived. And I had had a family member that had um, talked about it as well. And they all shared that same kind of story. And I talk about it in that chapter. All of them said, I had this calm come over me and I stopped thrashing and struggling. And it was soon after that, that rescue came or I got my footing. And I right. never forgot that. I've always applied yep. that thought to, yep. you know, when we're going through the craziness of it, when we're thrashing with it, we can't make any healthy decisions or, or know how to navigate a step forward. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And um, I think I heard this just recently was, um, you know, stress makes you stupid, <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> you know, and, and fear that's makes you powerless. Fear makes yes. you confused and you're not clear to make decisions when we're in fear and stress. Absolutely. And they're inextricably linked, but right. when you understand it from a brain science perspective, uh, it's fascinating to me, uh, to understand, oh, okay, that's what's going on all right, I can shift this. And, you know, what are the tools to actually shift out of brain stem and, and um, all of that to get back up to neocortex where you actually can make um, good decisions and um, confident decisions and possibilities reside. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I probably would have learned that, but it's part of what I learned along the way on this journey with Sam. And it's, it's all fascinating to me. So, um, so I wouldn't trade any of it. In fact, I wrote Sam a thank you letter for his addiction. Oh, that's some growth. Yeah. <laughs> that's some yeah, because, progress. Yeah. I'm like, I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for your addiction. Right. You know, and thank you. Thank you for, you know, the journey that you're on. Um, even with all the stuff that swirls around it. Um, yeah. So I remember telling my son a few years ago that he was one of the reasons I set high goals for my life. And um, I said, I don't think I would have worked so hard on my own life or to go for goals if I wouldn't have had you like watching mm-hmm. me, observing mm-hmm. me or to take mm-hmm. care of. And he mm-hmm. said, oh, he said, I always kind of felt like I was your burden. And that's why you were always stressed out. And I felt so bad about that. But on this side of it, it's just so funny how we were able to communicate to each other. We both had two different perspectives. Right. But mine was that I was doing all this struggle so you would have a, a more chances in life to have a right. healthier life. And so that to me, all of those struggles were a gift because I wouldn't have you know, become a published author. I wouldn't have tr- run a marathon or gotten into the good things and goals or worked to have good friendships and relationships in my life had right. I not had burdens and struggles and worries. It's all part of it. It's just what you do with it. 
Yes, exactly. And so that's a really great thing to kind of highlight is your son made up a story about that for him. And, and that's part of what happens here is um, I call them MSUs, which is basically making shit up. Um, and I'm really honestly, all the stories that we tell is just shit we've made up. So if you can think about it that way, then you can actually take those stories back and tell new stories and then live into the story that you most want to tell. And so um, just recognizing that for myself was so powerful. It's like, and so we have this language now that says, okay, so are you just making shit up? Right. You know, when you say something, I'm like, okay, I have to think about that. Actually, yes, I am. Yeah. Um, and is that the story that I want to tell? Hmm. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Okay, if I'm going to change the story, then how am I going to walk differently? Right. You know, um, we have we struggle with that. I mean, just over the summer, we had a conversation, and I was telling my son, you know, I disagreed with him, and I was telling him kind of my perspective of it, and he came back and said, "Well, don't attack my character." And I said, <laughs> "Is that what you hear me doing?" Like, yeah. Tell me, give me an example of where I attacked. Like, really, let's sit in this for a minute. Yeah. Are you hearing that I'm attacking your character? Because if I'm coming across that way, I don't know it. And you need to know that's never my motive. Or maybe yeah. it's just that you're hearing it and it's something you're feeling inside. So let's let's park right here and open this up and analyze the infection and move forward from it because I would never attack your character for any type right. of benefit or resolution ever. Yeah, yeah. So the gift, what I hear as part of the gift in this is, he, he at least verbalized it to you right. and then you could unpack it together yeah. as a story that he was telling and what's your part in it and, you know, his interpretation and blah, blah, blah. But and how much, so, how often do we all do that? We bring oh, all we of do our, it our all best. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you show up and you're, you've got one person in front of you, but each of you has a crowd behind of you shouting different thoughts and perspectives. Yes. And so you can't get anywhere until you yes. stop and unpack slowly and then move yes. forward. And it's those uncomfortable moments that everyone avoids. You know, I don't, I've always said feelings need oxygen to dissipate. So they're not as threatening and heavy, but I mean, yes. it might just, it might take a three minute conversation to say, I'm feeling this, I'm believing this, and then you can move on from it, but avoiding it can be decades of dysfunction. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I, I, I there's a book called, um, the, the body keeps the score. Yes. Um, I love it. It's a, it's a brilliant book that reminds us. And I was working with the client yesterday and I, and she was um, upset um, about something that had taken place at, in her office. And I said, you have to work with that energy to clear it out because otherwise it's going to find a place to reside in your body. It's not going away. No, it's not going to go away. And that is that I personally, that's what I believe. That's where cancer comes from. That's where all I these diseases too. come from, so on and so forth. And so that's another reason why feeling and working with the energy to release it, let it move through you is kind of the number one thing that I go to right away. And it doesn't take that long. I mean, there's such a fear and a dread and a shame wrapped around doing that kind of work. You don't have to spend as much time opening up about feelings or be weird about it as you did going through something. It, it's not some, you know, weird, esoteric, sickening process. <laughs> it's just basically laying it out and then moving on from it. It's, it's not right. really that hard, but I think we create a story and the story turns it into a monster 
And then we just carry, we stack trauma on top of trauma and run through life presenting something with all of that behind it. Yes. Yeah. And, and partly because we have pretty much. And then you stub your toe and it all comes to the surface. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Over and over sometimes. Yes. (laughs) I don't know how much work you've done with allies and recovery or how familiar you are with them, but I've, you know, they have like the craft method and it's, it's a really a great process of dropping your weapons and learning new ways to listen and relate and reflective listening, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a healthier way that kind of starts to turn the ship around. And I've heard a lot of parents say, or even, you know, male, female say, my goodness, if I would have even taken the time to stop, to not argue, to not shame the situation, to learn new tools. Even if I would have taken six weeks, I may not have ended up divorced. I may not have, you know, I may not have handled things the way I did. So Mm -hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with their program, but it's truly life and family changing just to even stop and learn these principles. Absolutely. Yes. Um, And and I'm not familiar, but I did look at the website um, earlier and I'm fascinated um, by uh, looking more into it for sure. Definitely. So, I mean, the I, videos I just, and all of that on there is great. It's definitely worth it. It's, it was life-changing for me before, um, you know, it's, it's not, I've worked with them and written for them, but I've also applied their tools and skills to my life, not just being trained in them, but applying them personally. And they really have been so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that if you're part of that team, you, you need to be embedded in <laughs> right what they're training, coaching, teaching, so that you're walking the walk and talking the talk. Yeah. And it's um, just kind of like Mr. Miyagi teaches you wax on, wax off. And you're, right. you think you're just painting a fence all summer long. And the next thing you know, life throws a situation at you or your yeah. loved one throws crisis at you or, or, or right. you cause it, whatever. And it just mm-hmm. becomes a reflex to handle it different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the power of doing the work on yourself. Absolutely. Yes, All right. Well, is there, yeah. is there anything you'd like to add or say to our listeners or um, anything oh, you'd wow. like to include that you haven't yet? Um, you know, I, I think, I mean, this has been a great conversation as far as I'm concerned. There's a lot of great things embedded in what we've talked about. Um, you know, ask for help. <laughs> Um, which is one of the critical things that a lot of people have a really difficult time with and understand you are never alone. Um, there are plenty of people and resources and books and videos and, um, available to you to realize that you are not in this ever alone. Um, there's a community, whether it's allied in allies in re- um, sorry, allies in recovery or voices in courage or whatever, there are plenty of us out there. Reach out for help. Um, know that you have uh, kindred spirits that are walking the walk with you. That's right. That's right. We're all in this together. And there's more people dealing yes. with it than you would realize, whether it's a son or a daughter, a friend or a neighbor. Um, and even if it's not your specific adversity or situation, everyone's got something. Yes, everybody does. You'd be um, surprised at the, the welcoming you get when you reach out to somebody and say, I'm struggling right now you know, somebody that, you know, has been through it or isn't doing the work or just taking that first step and reaching your hand out can completely start your new journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that said, I would love for everyone to check out 
KL's work. Um, how can people get a hold of you, get in touch with you, see what you're into? Um, go to voicesencouraged.com. And, um, and certainly I'm on LinkedIn also. So those two avenues are a great way to reach out, get some resources. We're actually going to be doing um, a launch November 1st, okay. which will um, open up uh, membership and online training and group coaching and um, other resources for people to access. So um, yeah, we'll definitely send all of that out. And I really appreciate it. I really respect and admire your journey and your strength and turning adversity into a way to navigate. I think that is a beautiful thing. You didn't stay stuck. You didn't feel sorry for yourself. Even if you, mm -mm. even if you did for a span of time, you got up from it and kept going forward. And that is really, yeah. that is really the mark of courage in my opinion. Thank you. Thank you. And kudos to you too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. My, mine might be a little bit messier than yours, but we're all in this together. <laughs> we are all in this together. Absolutely. So I appreciate your energy and all that you're doing to help um, shift. Thank you. I appreciate that as well. And thanks for listening, everyone. I'll have notes where you can follow her, Kale's work and watch for launch and all of that in the post that I send out. And until next time, I wish you well. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Unhooked Podcast. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests belong solely to the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the host or any affiliated organization or institution. Annie's books, Unhooked and Unbroken, can be found in Amazon, Cokesbury, BarnesandNoble.com, and wherever books are sold. You can find her work by searching Annie Highwater on Facebook. If you have enjoyed the Unhooked Podcast, please share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. We hope you'll keep coming back to listen, too. The Unhooked Podcast. Thank you.